This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to the Hunting Gear Podcast, this podcast focuses on exactly what the title of this podcast is called, Hunting Gear and Equipment. And we cover everything from archery, uh, gear and accessories, to bows, to arrows, to broadheads, to firearms, camo, boots, and everything in between. You name it, we talk about it here on this podcast. And again, if you are a first-time listener to the Hunting Gear Podcast, then you're in for a treat because uh, we're kicking, you're kicking it off with a badass episode. Uh, today, on the, on the show, we have Kurt Geyer, and uh, if you don't know Kurt, you've probably been living under a rock as far as uh, outdoor podcasts are concerned, because he is uh, the host of the Working Class Bow Hunter, uh, a big favorite within the uh, bow hunting and outdoors community, and uh, it's uh, it's an awesome podcast with, uh, you know, a bunch of average Joes uh, BS about uh, their passion for the outdoors, really, and with that said... We're going to kind of take that flow into today's episode, and we're going to BS about gear. We're going to talk about uh, some of the, the first bows we ever shot, some of the first equipment that we ever used, some of uh, um, some products that are nostalgic for us. We talk about some gimmick products, what we look for in, in products, and, and it's a good old-fashioned BS session about hunting gear and equipment. So... Uh, that's what today's episode is about. Before we get into this episode, though, we're going to do uh, um, our little commercial block here. And the first commercial uh, I want to kind of go through is uh, the average conservationist. Now, if you haven't uh, heard about the uh, lifestyle brand, the average conservationist, basically what it is, it's a lifestyle brand, uh, T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and a whole bunch of other uh, really cool uh, logo type material. I think they have some tumblers, they have logo, uh, stickers and stuff like that, but uh, they have some really badass logos on their t-shirts and their hoodies and their hats. Uh, and uh, the cool thing, not only is the apparel really cool, the mission behind the company is really cool. They give 10% of all of their revenue to some form of conservation effort. And I think uh, lately they've kind of been donating to the National Deer Association 
which is a big one within you know our hunting community, especially for whitetails and and uh, you know other quote unquote deer hunting. But ten uh, percent goes to you know right off the bat goes to a conservation effort and and that just tells you about the ownership of the company marcus ewing is also the host of the average conservationist podcast on the uh, sportsman's nation network here too so um, check out the average conservationist.com and check out their uh, awesome apparel hoodies hats t-shirts uh, really cool let's see I got an old, dirty, average conservation, one of their first runs sitting on my desk right now. And uh, it's been out with me into the timber multiple times, and it's still rocking and rolling, so it's durable, it's cool, you know, whatever. Just go check it out, theaverageconservationist.com, and at checkout, enter the discount discount code NFC10, and you get 10% off your purchase. Again, that's NFC10. And that's going to give you 10% off your purchase. The next uh, commercial we're doing here, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. I really don't know what else to say about them. You've heard me talk about them on this podcast about you know my favorite tree stand. You've heard me talk uh, about them on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. But uh, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands are, in my opinion, the best portable tree stand on the market. And I say that with about 13 years of experience behind that. So in 2006, I think it was either 2006 or 2007 when I picked up my very first uh, Lone Wolf. Uh, I don't know if I bought it at a garage sale or I bought it off a buddy who uh, was needing some money, but it changed the game for me. It allowed me to be more mobile. Uh, It allowed me to get in trees that I otherwise couldn't get in with a ladder stand. It allowed me to get deeper in. It's quiet. It can set up in crooked trees, and uh, now it's just kind of like uh, uh, another appendage. It's it's a part of me, and I I absolutely love it. I think we even talk about it in in this uh, podcast today, but head on over to LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com and uh, enter the discount code 9FC21, 9FC21, if you decide to purchase a tree stand, and... uh, you're going to get, I think it's $50 off all off of all purchases over $200, $200 or over. So that's, you're sitting at 25% there. You actually buy a tree stand. You're sitting at somewhere about 20% off. And that's a pretty good deal uh, when it comes to uh, a portable tree stand, a hang on like uh, Lone Wolf. So check it out, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. Now we can get into today's episode with Kurt Geyer of the Working Class Bowhunter. All right, on the phone with me today from the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, Kurt Geyer. Kurt, what's up, man? Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Let me just ask you this. Are you a turkey guy or are you a turkey guy only during turkey season? (laughs) I'm a... Typically, I'm a turkey guy only during turkey season. Yeah. But I find this year I'm a little more of a turkey guy before turkey i have a little more lead time on my turkey season this year than i've felt in years past yeah that makes any sense why is that if you want me to be brutally honest they're just not that cool (laughs) i mean (laughs) and i don't mean to sound kind of harsh when i say that like they're cool i think turkeys are really really cool when they're close enough and they're drumming and you got them coming in and things are getting awesome and just that exciting part 
But other than that, I'm kind of just like, yeah, it's something to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be different if they had antlers. Right. I'll tell you this. When I drive down uh, a country road and I see a deer in the field, I don't care if it's a doe or a spike or whatever. I'm slowing down to take a look at it. If I see a strut and Tom right. in the same field, I'll probably just turn my head and be like, oh, cool, turkey strutting, and then keep driving. Yeah, they're only, I mean, I don't mean to take anything away from turkeys. Like, you know what I mean? I know you don't either, but it's, uh, they're cool. They're beautiful. They're, they're fun to hunt with a bow. I think decapping, uh, you know, using the <laughs> right. decap heads on them is like the, probably the cool thing to do in archery and it's challenging that way. Um, but yeah, it's just not the same, you know, it's yeah. some, for me, birds just aren't as interesting yeah. as like a big game animal yeah, that's or a, a predator or something, you know, that's a fact. What's on the uh, agenda? Are you only hunting Illinois this year, or are you going to be uh, bouncing around to other states? So my plans are I'm going back to Wyoming for a spring bear hunt at the end of May this year. Um, Eric and I from the podcast are going out there. Um, I'm planning on doing a Wyoming mule deer hunt in the same area, and then I'm planning on uh, this. this one's kind of – in a gray area right now, I'm planning on going back for mountain lion, um, mm. between Christmas and new year's, but we'll see. I got to see how that's all going to pan out. Yeah. I heard those mountain lion hunts are pretty intense, man. You know, I, I had no interest in doing one. Um, but last year when we were on our bear hunt, our guide at out at double diamond outfitters in Wyoming, uh, Trey, he was showing me videos of some of the mountain lion hunts and, just the effort you have to put into it and then just how like a just the adrenaline rush of it yeah that's honestly got me basically more interested in it because i got to see the real raw videos just on his phone that he took not nothing on tv or whatever right and i'm like man i think really like to do that so i've been talking with them a little bit about trying to go out there and, and do it on snowmobiles with the dogs and stuff like that and and, and get after it so we'll see I, I hope it all works out i think it will uh, but it's just it's kind of far out. Like I'm more focused on the bear hunt and then we'll go from there, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you this about bear hunting. Um, I, in the past have never been interested in doing a bear hunt where, you know, you just sit over a bait pile all day and wait for them to come in. Um, what was your very first bear hunting experience like? Yeah. So I will say, I agree with you with what you just said. I went out to Wyoming, Western Wyoming to do it. Um, and I went with a couple of guys, uh, three of my buddies that have all done Canadian bear hunts and all killed really good bears. And I know that can be a challenging hunt as well. This bear hunt interests me for a few reasons more than like the Canadian, you know, fish all day, leisurely get drunk and then go out or do whatever you want to do yeah. and then go out and, sit in a stand, a ladder stand and you know you're going to see five ten bears a night and and get a shot at whatever you want to shoot at this one was like a backcountry style you horseback into the mountains back into where your bait is and then you get in the tree and hunt that way yeah um so there's more adventure and a little more effort to it than and i'm not saying all i've never been on a canadian hunt but from what i have heard from my close friends that have done it a couple times it's more of an adventure just being out in that area from the camp to the horses to by the time you even get to the hunt. Yeah. Um, so that's why it appealed to me a little more. 
And from what I understand, I will do a Canadian bear hunt, so I have the experience and I want to do it. But it seems like it's more of a challenging hunt hunting the mountain bears rather than the Canadian bears that basically once the truck leaves, here they come. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Um, that's how it felt from everyone talking about it to me. Yeah. I, you know, there's so many other species I think that I want to, f- like me personally, focus on uh, than bear. However, I say that with an asterisk because I feel like if I am going to do a bear hunt, I saw a Jim Shockey episode uh, on, the, on, I don't know, YouTube or something like that, where he would take a boat up into a creek, like basically a small stream or river that's running out of the mountains into the ocean. And all he would do is mm-hmm. slowly hike up that creek and he would run into, uh, he'd run into some bears and that's how he hunted. I think like for me personally, that would, that kind of hunt would be a little bit more interesting than your typical overbait trees, like tree stand type hunt. Yeah, I get that. I get that for sure. That would be cool. Um, a couple of my buddies go out to Montana and do spot and stock spring bears and it's, and from what I've, you know, again, and that's just what they've told me that it's like a 3% success rate and it's just real challenging, which yeah. is cool. You know, it's even cooler if you get it done, but you know, I don't know. I, I kind of, I'm in a weird spot with some of my hunting goals that I kind of just want to try a little bit of everything. Right. So maybe one day I'll try hunting bears like that. I, I'm glad I got to kill my first color. A first black bear was a color phase and I did it in Wyoming, which is, a little different for most people you meet in the Midwest that normally go to just straight North up into Canada and kill them there, you know? Right. So it's, uh, you know, I don't hate on, I'm not crazy about like dogs on bears. Like you see out East or deer or dogs on deer. I'm not, I don't really think I'll ever do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, whatever, it's all experience. It's all fun. So, yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, I, uh, I think I started my, my expansion later than most most people uh, have because here I am 40 and uh, I don't have a ton of western type hunts under my belt but I tell you the one thing right now that I am straight up obsessed with is mule deer I want to kill a mule deer I don't care what it is I want to kill a mule deer so bad like that's all I think about yeah they're cool man they're just I think it's because they're so similar in a way uh, and look as like a whitetail, but they're not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I, I get, I'm more and more leaning to where you're at with that. Um, Especially seeing some of my buddy Clint's just giant muleys he's killed in some pretty tough units. And um, it's just cool seeing like what would be the G2 on a whitetail that it could be like 18 inches. You know what I mean? It's just kind of fascinating frame. Yeah. Um, So I'm with you. I'm, I'm growing more and more into that. Yeah. All right. So um, I really didn't have a certain direction of how I was going to take this podcast today, but something kind of popped up into my head and uh, I kind of want to go all the way back uh, to when you were kind of introduced to hunting or maybe even around the time where you started, you know, you were hunting by yourself. Um, So did you, first off, did you come from a hunting family or were you kind of a solo guy? Um, yeah, kind of. So my dad grew up doing like small game hunting and stuff like that. I had uncles that were really into deer hunting. Um, so my dad started deer hunting with me when I was like nine or 10, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, and then, so I was young, kind of, kind of a hunting family, sort of not. Yeah. Um, a lot of like relatives, like uncles and 
great uncles and cousins that did it. Yeah. Um, but I've been hunting. I would, I, I would just say I've been hunting my whole life, you know? Yeah. You know, in, in today's world, there is this, like, and I know you talk about it on your, on your podcast a lot, but, uh, there's so much, uh, energy and focus on the actual gear that people use. Uh, and it, it sometimes it, mm-hmm. it drives me nuts and, but here I am, I, you know, I'm also the host of the, the hunting gear podcast, but, um, do I want to talk about some of the first hunting gear that you ever used? Do you remember like your first outfit, your first camo, your first, uh, bow or gun or anything like that? Um, my first gun was like a Mossberg 520 gauge. Of course, you know, that's a lot of people's first gun. Yep. Um, my first, I had a, a, like a a handful of bows that were just like packaged big box store bows because my parents didn't know how serious I was going to be into it, but ended up, you know, really liking it. But I think the first real legitimate, like off the shelf at a pro shop bow was a, a Hoyt ultra sport. Okay. Um, and then I think, I don't know, my dad, my dad brought, bought at the same time, like, a uh, what was it? Oh man, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the, on the brand for some reason. I can't believe it. Um, reflex, um, an old reflex bow. Uh, it was like Hoyt's kind of like under brand, you know? Yeah. Okay. I remember those. Um, so I remember that being my first bow. Camo was just probably anything I could get at Walmart. Yeah. Um, really? I mean, I had, you know, of course, the whisker biscuit, um, beam and arrows just out of a box from the pro shop, stuff like that. Just old true fire release, just what, whatever I could get to get me going type of thing. Right. Um, but that, I mean, that's what I remember. You know, I could be way off on that. <laughs> right. That's how I remember it anyway. Do you rem- um, I like, I think right now, and I'm not 100% sure, um, Oneida is more focused like in bow fishing right now. But one of my very first bows that I ever had was an old Oneida. Um, and it was, I mean, it was old and those things just look just like completely different type of, of system. Right. Have you ever, have you ever shot yeah. a, uh, an Oneida? I've never shot one. I know what you're talking about. I do see them in like the bow fishing scene. They're like, kind of a recurve but like the limbs look like two-piece limbs or something weird yeah yeah just something is that what, is that what i'm thinking am i thinking that correctly yeah no you're right you're right and then they have like a whole different little set of cable where it's like there's two sets of limbs that meet the riser and then there's a whole different little cable system where where those two meet and it looked yeah, like you said it looks like this this from a different planet recurve compound type it looks of, like if matt Busbis made a recurve that's what it looks like <laughs> That, that guy that guy <laughs> that's that's I'm funny i was gonna laugh out of you oh dude it, it did congratulations <laughs> what a douche anyway uh um so yeah i can remember that oneida and i remember being so old and you know back then i wasn't even thinking about uh i wasn't even thinking about sound right like how sound you know would affect deer but i remember drawing back on some does and it was so noisy just like and then when I'd shoot it, they would, it's like, they, they were jumping the string before the arrow even left the bow. Isn't that funny, man, yeah. how things change? Like, oh, dude. You go to shoot an older bow compared to like the new bows. I just, we just talked like 
for we talked for hours about this with uh, T-Bone this past weekend, and and my buddy uh, Chandler and Jordan Ginsburg were all sitting around talking about old school bows and stuff oh, yeah. like this. And I realized, like, I'm sort of spoiled that I got lucky that my dad dove into it the same time I did pretty much. So we bought our bows together. So I started from, like, my age bow new, whereas I didn't get, like, a, a 10-year-old used bow. Yeah. So I didn't know, like, a lot about the details on, like, what the cables were and all these other just janky stuff that the evolution of the compound bow has gone through. And I, T-Bone was telling us all these stories about, like, steel cables and yeah. there used to be like an odometer on your bow riser to tell you when you're getting close to a thousand shots because that's all the cables were good for before you took a steel cable across the face <laughs> like in the middle of the tournament. And and I'm like, man, archery in the day did not sound like a good time. Like I would no. just be shooting a recurve and be like, no, I'm good on that compound stuff. So I see why old school guys hate compounds. I get that yeah. to a point. Yeah. Well, I tell you <laughs> what. So I I, I shot. I shot all these, I shot that Oneida for a while. And then I got a, a garage sale. Like I, th- I think it was a bear and it was, it was a little bit better. Cause I, I believe it actually had a, like cams on it at that point, mm-hmm. but none of the arrows matched that I had. So in 2005, <laughs> I, I got my finger cut off in 2005 and with the insurance money, I went to Shields and I bought my first ever like, like. I'm going to call good bow by myself. And I bought a Bowtech tribute. Uh, like, what is that? 14 years ago. And I just remember pulling it back and shooting it for the first time. And I thought I was like, it, it just felt so good compared to what, I, what I was shooting. I thought I was going to go out and slay every giant in the woods. Give you the confidence you needed. Right. Right. It was nuts, man. I, and do you ever like, do, do you, do you ever remember a piece of uh, maybe a bow? Let's just say that you were shooting all these older models or whatever, and then all of a sudden you jumped into like something four or five years down the road, and that was just like, holy cow! This this technology compared to the previous model just blows it away. Yeah, I I sort of I mean not really not like a hard line yeah but kind of. Um, because I went from that Hoyt Ultra Sport, and then I shot that for years, and then I sold it and bought a Hoyt X-Tech, which w- was like the flagship bow at the time. And I thought that thing was like, because I saw Michael Waddell and them guys shooting it back then, I thought I was like the shit because I had this flagship <laughs> bow. Right. Um, but I would probably say the big, di- I guess so, the big difference would be like when it went more to a parallel limb type bow i had a hoyt maxis 31 oh yeah um and i shot that for a while and um so that was probably from the x-tech to the maxis was probably like the big jump in uh bow technology or bow feel evolution for me yeah Um, which i know there's old timers that might listen kind of laugh at that but that's just my era you know what i mean right absolutely yeah it's it's funny um even even as recent as Oh man, uh, the last let's just say the last five years, um, I I didn't get a brand new bow in 2020, and I didn't get a brand new bow in 2019. Right, I had, my last new bow was 2018, and I was shooting this Prime, and then so I shot this uh, Prime for th- two or three years, I can't remember, and then I so I'm not touching any new uh, technology, and so I go to the the sporting goods store. And I shoot some of their, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, brands and models from different manufacturers. And dude, I'm, 
even as sh- you know, a short period of time, like two years in in the archery uh, game, compound game, th- it, it's night and day difference. It's crazy what they're doing <laughs> with bows now. It is, man. We're spoiled to yeah. be able to like experience it. But I know what you're saying. It's I've done that where I'll keep a bow for a while and I'll jump back and shoot it. Or like my buddy will have a bow I used to have. And I'll be like, let me shoot that thing for shits and gigs. And I'm like, man, it's like I there's hand shock there that I didn't feel when I owned it. But right. now that I have a newer bow, it seems terrible. Right, right. So you're walking away with, man, glad I got rid of that one. Right, which, you know, in reality, it's nothing. Right. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny how you get used to it. Just like cars, man. You drive something, a new truck, you don't want to drive a, your 2002 Silverado anymore. Right. That's funny. So when it comes to, like, hunting gear and equipment, um, I can remember back in the day when it would get, start to get cold out. And this is before I was educated on like things like Merino wool or wool socks. And I was like cotton, everything, right? Like five, <laughs> five or six different hooded sweatshirts all stacked on top of each other. I looked like, uh, that, the younger brother from the Christmas story walking to the tree stand, getting so hot. And then I would just instantly get cold right away. Uh, when, uh, you know, when I started to settle down, do you remember a time when like you were just rock, like all of a sudden you had this, uh, like you quote unquote upgraded your gear, maybe with your own money. Once you started making your own money and you're like, God, I should have been doing this years ago. Yeah, kinda. Um, I, I started out doing the same thing that you did. I, like, I remember taking blankets <laughs> with me when I'd sit on the ground right. like that, but um, yeah, sort of like I had my first, uh, and I kind of felt this way. How you said you felt like you were going to walk out and kill every Boone and Crockett. I got a old, like an old scent lock suit and wore that thing for years. I had like the all season, the full season jacket or whatever they called it. And I was pretty good layering some stuff underneath that. And that was like nicer quality, but I don't know, man. I'm, I kind of let myself be miserable when I whitetail hunt. Like I kind of sit freezing cold all the time because I, I just get annoyed with wearing too much. Yeah. So I just don't like the bulkiness. I'm worried about it. It's aggravating to me, especially once you put like a tree stand harness on, then a vinyl harness and all that. And so I I usually go out and suffer because I'm an idiot. I don't know, like hand warmers, I'll put good socks on, good boots, but I I like to wear as slim as a top as I can. So it's not getting in my way. Yeah. Um, So a lot of times I'm miserable. I don't wear gloves really at all. And that's, no fun uh, it's uh that that's a miserable time and my fingers are paying for it they're pretty jacked up but i just don't want that i don't practice with my gloves and i don't like having that in my way so yeah i avoid it yeah i'm always that guy who i i bought one of those uh i don't know i don't even know what you call it like a a fanny pack for your hands or like a muff is that what they're called a muff yeah. a muff uh, I call it a muff. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. That's what I call it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you strap it around your waist, put my hands in there. And so I, I try not to wear gloves and then uh, I'll just sit there and then I'll take it out. So that's, that's m- what I use. I, cause I, I don't practice in gloves either. So it's either take the gloves off when something starts to come in or just <laughs> now that you mentioned it, what I'm about to say is, is even more funny. I just pull it out of the muff. And then I, you know, I start to, I start to, uh, uh, the, the shot process. 
Well, I think, you know, I had one of those, but then I find I get annoyed with like having it buckled around my waist. It's yeah. another thing in the way. Um, but I think, you know, when it's brutal cold, it's worth bringing that along and then buckling it in place like while you're up in the tree. But, you know, that and I have a, I think it's a Zippo brand. That's a double check. It's like a rechargeable Zippo hand warmer and you can control like the, the levels on it. And that thing will burn your hands. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how much they are. I got a, a guy has like a stocking stuffer one year and kind of laughed at it and then uh, started using it. I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm going to buy another one, one for each pocket, um, save you money on hot hands or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, one Another product that I've kind of, I don't know if you've had any experience with this. I haven't yet, but it's something that I want to look into. And that is um, like a garment, like a chest, like a vest that has a like battery powered and you it brings heat so it's uh something similar yeah. it's just uh have you ever used one of those yeah i have two of them actually uh, i have a i have a uh snap-on brand one and it looks kind of like um it looks like a you know the old like long underwear material the white like uh oh, i don't know long johns it's like a, deal. yeah it's like a long john material that's like the inside of it but it's like a hooded sweatshirt and then the battery is like where your like where your right kidney is yeah, and that cuts out a little bit of the cold. And then I have a Milwaukee heated jacket, uh, which is great. It's camouflage, and I wear that either over a regular hoodie, or if it's super cold, I'll double up. But the bad thing is the Milwaukee battery is in the same spot as the Snap-on batteries at. So while you're sitting in a tree or standing, you got this big bulky battery cluster oh, in yeah. the way. Yeah, but I mean, it's better than freezing your ass off yeah. uh, one issue i had this year with that milwaukee i did wear it out uh late october one of the cold days we had because remember our october was like cold and perfect and our november sucked yeah um i wore it out one one morning with basically just a regular hooded sweatshirt underneath it and from being in the tree stand and having my harness on my harness unplugged the battery and then i had to like Take off half of my harness, take off my bino harness, unzip, half unzip, reach around all awkward because I've been sitting, my muscles are cold, so I'm getting like weird arm cramps. I'm trying to reach around and plug this battery back in. While I'm doing it, here comes this big buck coming through the standing corn right at me, and he just basically caught me with my pants down. Um, So that's one of the takeaways. If I was going to write Milwaukee about it, I'd be like, hey, put that battery (laughs) in a better spot for people that are sitting in trees. Yeah, you cost me a big buck. And and meanwhile, they're like, dude, we're a tool company. Like, (laughs) we don't give a shit. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, So. Other than that, they're great. Yeah, man, I, I've definitely, I'm definitely looking into one of those right now because um, just like you said earlier, I don't like, especially when it gets real cold. uh, What was it? Uh, A couple years ago, the rut was like 10 degrees in November. It was brutal out. And I was wearing almost every piece of uh, clothing that I had just to, just to, tough it out basically and i want like a marshmallow right right right. and i want one of those uh i want one of those vests or jackets and then i can throw a shell over top of it and just you know look like shrink my profile because you put start putting on all like i have a really big winter coat it's almost like a a sleeping bag top from Mm -hmm. element and I, i wish i it's awesome but i wish i didn't have to wear it uh, and I typically don't, right. but man, I guess you got to do what you got to do. 
Yeah, you got to be. You do have to be comfortable. You know, if I know I'm going to sit for a long time, I'll wear a lot. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm smart about it to a point. Yeah. Um, even though I get annoyed, I'd rather be a little annoyed and warm than dying up there, but knowing like deer are going to move. Yeah. Um, but I would say my recommendation, and I'm an idiot, so you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> I would get one of the heat, like a heated hoodie from Milwaukee or whoever. That's something that you can have tight to you and then put a shell over it yeah. because the heat's like more on your skin th- than through like the Milwaukee. It's a, ja- it's a actual jacket. Yeah. Um, it's almost like it's not touching your skin. It doesn't keep you as warm as if like you had a set of like, I'll get a long John shirt or whatever that had the heating element in it. What do those batteries, uh, how long do they last? Uh, the snap on battery is, I mean, it'll last, it'll last you a good sit. Um, I think the Milwaukee one, I don't know. I've never had it like full blast the whole time. Cause there's three different, like there's like a low, medium and high setting. Yeah. Um, I think it'll last you a good day if you had on like the medium setting. Um, I don't know. I guess I've never really tested. I'm always worried about killing the battery too early yeah. and then kind of being hosed when it matters, you know, like I'll get in, I'm warm from my walk in. And then I'll let myself start to get a little cold before I even turn it on low. Yeah. And then I'll kind of let myself get warm from there. Cause you know, typically if you're in an afternoon, sit, it's getting colder as you sit. So, right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that's uh, a product that I'm definitely going to be looking into, but then, then again, you know, here it is, uh, November 70 degrees outside and, uh, I won't even use it. <laughs> Right, and you're like, man, I just spent 250 bucks on some. <laughs> right, right. Something I'm gonna, you know, I'm probably just gonna wear it to scoot my driveway. Yeah, they, they are nice, man. You know, I I get up early for work, and it's kind of nice having that. You know, it's I don't have heated seats or anything in my vehicle, so it's nice having that jacket. You get it cooking, and yeah, that's cool. Because by the time your truck's heated up, you can shut the jacket off, and it's good for a while. Yeah. Uh, do you run any kind of special, uh, base layers like Merino wool or anything like that? Um, sort of, I have, uh, I don't know if it's a hundred percent Merino wool, but I have a, I have some base layers from, I think I have a Badlands Merino base layer, like bottoms. And then I have some stuff from true timber that seems pretty nice. It's not Merino though. It's more like the performance like style. I don't know what it's made. It's some sort of blend. Yeah. And then I have, I think I have some, I wear a lot of like the black Ovis, um, boxer briefs and Merino and some of the, like the long underwear. Yeah. When you, which I'm, I'm told that is like a knockoff of like the Sitco base layers or it is, but it's just rebranded for black Ovis. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. Um, do, do you like, once you started moving to, uh, I guess an official, you know, every base layer says moisture wicking, no matter what it's made out of. Right. So um, when you started messing yeah. around with Merino wool, did you, uh, did you notice a difference like cooling, like, like the moisture actually wicking away from your body and, and things like that? I think so. Yeah. A hundred percent. Unless it's like some sort of placebo trick they're playing on all of us to spend more money. <laughs> right. It's worth Um but yeah, I'd say so. I'm kind of a snob now because all I wear on a daily basis is those uh, black Ovis boxer briefs. Yeah. Because I feel like if I wear like regular Hanes or cotton, like under any anything, I just feel like I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm just I'm spoiled. So now I have to wear the black Ovis boxers and 
and all that on a, on a daily. Yeah. So I'm spending like 40 bucks for a pair of boxers because I'm an idiot, but they last a long time. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound weird because I bought some uh, Sitka. Uh, they weren't the they weren't the merino wool boxer briefs, but I ended up uh, buying a pair of the Sitka. I think it's their synthetic line, or the, uh, I'm trying to think uh, something light like a, that. It's what their non merino base layers are made out of. So I bought like a handful of those, and this is going to sound disgusting, but I took them out on a on my first ever western hunt. And, you know, when I was messing around with them on my hikes, I wasn't really hiking a lot compared to what I was doing when I went out on this elk hunt. And dude, by the end of the day, my, the crack of my ass was so chapped just because of the, how they fit or how, what they do. Not really any moisture. It's almost like sometimes you want a little bit of that ass sweat to stick around. And, uh, it was not there. And man, my, my ass ass was chapped so bad that I ended up just throwing my regular boxer briefs, my Hanes or whatever the other brands are, uh, from Walmart back on. And, uh, they treated me much better. Interesting. Yeah. Spent all that money for a rash. That's right. Right. And, uh, you know, just <laughs> put a little Vaseline on it and you're, uh, back to hiking. Did it look like the Sicko logo? Your rash? <laughs> No, it did not. It did not. Oh, uh, it looked like a flat bill uh, cap <laughs> with his ears tucked in. You got like a discount code. <laughs> Messed uh, up. We got jokes today. We got jokes today. <laughs> uh, well, it just gets worse if you keep listening. I know, right? I know. Um, so, do you do you have like? From from a nostalgia standpoint, do you have a favorite pair or like a, a favorite hunting piece of equipment that you've just continued to use year after year after year? Um, man, I wish I had a really good answer for that question because I love that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, no, not really. I have hunting like when I see like old brill tree patterns from when I was a kid. Yeah. That kind of brings me back. Like, I wish I still had a bunch of my old stuff. Like, I still have some old, like, cool Realtree crew necks, like in old Realtree hardwoods when it first came out or, that are pretty cool. Um, nah, I wish I had a cooler answer for you, man. I don't. It's, I've kind of always upgraded every four or five years, like, completely fresh on everything just because I just want new stuff or whatever, you know what I mean? And then I'll give my old stuff to buddies or cousins or sell it to my buddies or whatever, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll say this, man. I had a grunt call, and I think I had that thing for 12 to 14 years. No joke. And it got to the point where if it was too cold and I was, I don't know, the the reed would freeze and it wouldn't work. But then all I had to do was just kind of blow in it, get that thing warmed up with my breath, and, and then it would work again. But I'm telling you, to this day, I don't even know the brand of it. I don't know who made it, whatever. But to this day, that grunt call was the most realistic, dominant buck type call that I have ever used. And when I, really? ended, yeah, I ended up losing it. It was black. It was black, straight black. And when I ended up losing it, I was so pissed that I had to go to the store and buy another grunt call. So for about 45 minutes in I don't even know. It was like a, it was a Bass Pro Shop. No, it was a Gander Mountain. 
for 45 minutes one day in a Gander Mountain, I'm opening up all these different grunt calls and I'm blowing them and, and I'm, I'm doing this little session in their store. And one of these, one of the, you know, like some high school kid, he's like, I don't think you're supposed to open those. I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Go away. Like, just get away from me. I was so pissed that I lost it. And, and uh, I ended up having to buy something that I, I didn't want, but it was the closest thing that I ever had to, you know, closest thing to the original. You know- that's hilarious. Cause that's definitely pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now people arrest you. Right. But I, uh, one one call we talk about often on the podcast, and my buddy Austin Chandler, he still uses this call. I have it somewhere. I guess the one thing would ooh, it would be a grunt call, and it would be remember when the uh, jury came out with that mad buck growl or whatever they called it, the buck roar. The, it, it was the buck growl oh, when they okay. launched it. Yeah, yeah, and it had clear plastic was like the whole thing was you could see through it but it had the long tube it, the buck roar i think was primo's version a, a couple years later i got gotcha. um that call would probably be the one i have it somewhere but i mean that call is probably called in more big bucks for me and my dad and chandler still uses it he still killed deer off it this year and he's had it since it came out which hell i don't know 2015 to or 20 2005 to 2000 and yeah. Eight is probably when that came out. I don't remember exactly. Did that have the adjustable like slide where you could go doe, like fawn, doe, young buck, old buck on it? No, not that one. I don't think it did. I think it was just the clear plastic tip and then it had like the long black like grip to it. And it was just its own standalone, like that was its call, was the buck growl. Yeah. Okay. And that's what it did. And they had when you would buy it, it would come with like this little miniature DVD. It was like, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. And it would, you'd put it in like, and you didn't realize it had these, but the DVD player had the full disc groove. And then it had the little baby disc groove that you right. would drop the little one in and yeah. put it in. And it would just be like a tutorial and stories about how awesome the call was. Right. Uh, um, I, I don't know. I just remember getting those. I probably still have them around in my hunting DVD collection bin somewhere. Yeah. Oh but, man. Uh, that would be the one I think that I'd have to pick out, but it's not one I'm like actively reaching in my pack every season for the, my trusty call. Right. Like it's not on that level or anything. Yeah. Super lame answer. I wish I had a better one, man. Cause it would be cool to have something that was with me from the beginning or something. Yeah. I can remember, you know, just doing the single, the single and turning bucks around with that old, old call. And then of course, when I go to try it with my new call and I'm like, you son of a bitch. Uh, you, you, if you were my other call, you would have brought that deer in, you know, like <laughs> just getting so pissed about it. Confidence in your equipment, man. It's uh that's right. Who knows? That's right. You need to, damn, that sucks. So it's gone forever. You, you lost it in the woods, man. My, I tell you what, here's, what's going to happen. My luck is I'm going to, you know, start running and gunning in, in one of these properties that I haven't hunted in a, in a while. And I'm going to find it. I know what property it's on but I just don't know where I lost it at. And it's one of those um, big CRP type properties where you're walking back like hundreds of yards in CRP to get to like this drain, this little drainage. And uh, so it could have been in there. It could have, I mean, it could, it could, it could be anywhere, but I think I know where where I lost it. I mean, I I looked for it. I went out and I looked for it and uh, now it's probably been plowed over or something like that been in a crp burn or something yeah absolutely <laughs> did you did you ever 
or maybe you still today, are you a bleak call guy? Have you, has that ever worked for you? Um, simple answer. No, <laughs> uh, in more detail, when I was a kid, I had the old Primo's bleak can that had the BD buck on it. Remember yeah. that one? Yep. And I'd sit there and go, Meh, like I was doing something big and <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I had small bucks to me at the time, big bucks, but no, I, if I see a big buck bleed is not on my radar yeah. typically. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I just find like, I'm so inconsistent with it and they're, a lot of the bleak calls are hard to control. Yeah. Yeah. I had the one where you had to put your thumb over it, over the back end, and then you turn it upside down and then turn it back up again. And and so when you would turn it back up again on the right side, it that's when it would make the, the doe bleak or the, yeah. the bleak call. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I can remember one time I, I, I was hunting this, this bedding area. It was kind of like a circle and I, on the on the far side i watched this shooter kind of cruise through this back end and i'm like oh god it's the rut i'm pull out the the brand new bleak call and i you know did it nick or whatever and and it, it got its attention and it also got the attention of the doe group that was closer to me and what they do <laughs> they just came in to investigate got downwind of me, blew out the whole thing. I never, I never saw that buck again. I was so pissed. And I think and I, you chucked that bleak call into the ravine. No, I put it in my backpack and I was like, I would have, but I just bought it. So maybe I won't. And I do, I had, I don't think I've ever used a bleak call since then. You just kind of have to have that in like your old, like hunting mean, equipment tote. You're right. That way if someone else like, what's that old thing you have like this, piece of shit bleak call that you bought and that you have that story to tell that's just i think that's just part of buying hunting equipment to a point yeah <laughs> did you ever fall for any type of gimmicks oh yeah i'm sure man i i was so into like outdoor television as a kid oh, yeah. growing up hunting that you know i bought i don't know it kind of went both ways there was some stuff i laughed at when i saw it on tv and then some stuff i'm like i mean like that that growl which ended up working for us. I don't know if I consider it a gimmick, but like the marketing on that had me in. Um, like remember when Rage Broadheads like hit the scene real big and like that, that was like the big buzz. Like I felt for that marketing, but yeah. people love Rage, you know? Yeah. I think they're probably a good head. Um, but gimmicks, I, I don't know. There is one for sure that I'm not thinking of. Um, I'm trying to think. So, so I don't know. What about you? Back in the day, this this one blew my mind that people would actually take this into the tree with them. And it was right around the time when I started getting serious. You know, you, you got your it was I was 26 at the time. So that is when I cannonballed into archery and I started like being observant in the woods, being getting serious about all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I remember going to a lot of trade shows back when I was with uh, uh, White Knuckle Productions you know, back in those days. Mm -hmm. And there was this, uh, there was this guy selling a product called the deer view mirror. Oh and my God, dude. Do you I remember was going to bring that up. When I started talking. Yes, I do remember it. Oh my oh God. My God. <laughs> and, <laughs> so people are, so that the whole, the whole point of this is you don't have to stand up and turn around. It wraps around the tree and you put it out in front of you. And that way you don't have to move you can just look at the deer view mirror and see everything that's coming behind you. And this guy at this trade show, I don't know, like if he's alive still like good for him, but he looked like he had, 
I don't know if, if I can put a face like description of what this guy looked like. It was, I just took every dollar. Uh, I cashed out my 401k. I did, you know, like I, I did all of this and this product has to work. My wife's already mad. She's already divorced me. This product has to work. And that was the kind of guy who was working this booth. And he was just trying to, you know, grind out and sell this to everybody at these trade shows. And it wasn't working. And I was like, did that happen to be at Illinois Deer Classic back in the day when it was in Bloomington? Yes. Yep. At, at, yeah. I remember it. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then I, I see, uh, uh, I see the guy as we're, as we're, uh, shutting down the show I, I walk out and you know getting ready to go back to the car and and leave on that sunday you know and there here he's out like it looks like he's loading every single thing that he brought in <laughs> into the show back ah. into his truck and i'm just like oh man some ideas are just shitty you know <laughs> i remember that i i think i remember seeing i remember seeing at the show back in the day but it, there was actually ads for it in oh, magazines yeah. too yeah so he I, I, you're probably right. He probably missed, I don't know how many alimony checks to his ex-wife <laughs> and he's like paying, putting in ads in right. some whatever magazine. Big but would you magazine. rather have that or would you rather buy the acorn cruncher? <laughs> Dude, I used to buy an acorn cruncher and give it to people as jokes, right? But take this with you. You're going to need it. Yeah, exactly. Hey man. So I, I had it handed to me by some buddies, right? As a joke. And I, and I, I had it in my po- pocket and I was just like, all right, again, it comes with those, one of those mini DVDs, popped it in, watched it. And here's this guy all serious. Just like, all right, here's how you do it. It's basically two, uh, what, like two, two liter bottle caps with slits cut on, cut in them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so That's I, awesome. I remember these does are kind of working their way in and I started doing it the, again, the first crunch, they just pegged me in the tree and there was no calmness of eating acorns. It was just pegged, ran away. And I was just like this dirty, dirty dog gave me this. And I, and uh, obviously it was a gimmick, but, uh, those are the two biggest ones that I can think of was the deer view mirror and, and the acorn cruncher. Didn't Hunter Specialties make the Acorn Cruncher? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, and I I think they still yeah, sell it. That's hilarious. I'm gonna buy one just just for the effort on their end. Like that's right. a hustle in some weird way. It's a hustle. Yeah, right. Just like you know, there's a lot of people out there who are really educated. You know understand that products necessarily don't kill big deer right it's the strategy it's Mm -hmm. it's all that other stuff but you know before the podcasts before social media the whole hunting industry was made up of people just blowing products out of proportion of how like dude you want to kill the biggest buck in your timber or even your county here man use the acorn cruncher I guarantee you it's going to work, right? All these guarantees on products. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, like instead of back in the day when it was like a wise tale, you could look somebody up. If they're like the inventor of the acorn crunch. You're talking about, Oh yeah, it kills all the big bucks. You can just look at their Instagram and be like, ah, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then move on. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. It's uh, there was something cool about the, the, the mystery of like, you need this cause it kills the big bucks. 
But if you know it was bullshit, you you knew right. it was. And right. It's just it's kind of funny. Like I don't wish any of these products away because it's entertaining. Right. That's a fact, man. Well, I tell you, this is this is what I love about hunting products, gear, equipment, all that stuff, is like watching the evolutions, kind of like what we what we've talked about. And I remember the very first tree stand that I ever sat in was a L bracket. I don't know what even like the only thing that I can compare it to is sometimes when a guy's doing a framing job and they'll put uh, they'll put metal L brackets on the end of stud walls or something like that. Uh, yeah, that is what this tree stand was made out of. So just a bigger version of that. And it had all these holes in it, but it was welded to the tree. It's been sitting in that tree for probably 15 years. It's all grown into the the tree and stuff like that. And I just love that, you know, and obviously, you know, you use, you, you use uh, more advanced tree stands now or, or the, the tree stands that were the first climbing tree stand was actually made out of plywood and steel compared to what we have yeah. today. So I, I just find that very interesting. Yeah, I think the there's something cool about old tree stands and the evolution of it all because, I mean, all, all tree stands are fun. Like, I consider myself sort of not really a collector of tree stands, but I have some old, old school ones. Like, one's a plastic platform with a cha- just a chain on it, but it's made out of, like, that framing stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think I've hunted out of it once, but I'm, like, sort, sort of scared of it because um, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably older than me, you know? Right. Um but yeah, tree stands are cool to watch, like the the evolution of it and where it's going and how light they're getting. But I, I'm kind of there's a point where I'm I'm over it though too. Yeah, with, with the whole tree stand, mobile hunter, saddle scene, like I, it's all cool, it's all interesting, like, and I get it, and I'll continue to pay attention, but I'm just not going to look that hard at it. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, and you you said it earlier, man. Confidence in your equipment. That's where I'm at right now. Like everybody's like oh hey dan why aren't you using a saddle why aren't you using a saddle it's like because i have 15 years of a lone wolf on my back and it's like a just a part of me now it's so easy and i'm i guess i'm getting old or stubborn or something and i just don't want to change dude i'm 100 percent with you because everyone we joke you know we joke around a lot on our podcast like we're super sarcastic and just everyone just thinks we hate saddles and we right. don't, we jo- it's easy to joke about. And, you know, Austin and our crew, he's killed a really good buck out of a saddle. Um, I, whatever, if you want to do that, that's cool. But I'm the same, same as you, man. Like if I'm going to grab a stand, it's, it's going to be that cast platform. Yeah. Like, a, like an alpha or something like that, like that size yeah. or whatever brand you choose, whether it's custom gear, one with portable, XOP, Novix, you know what I mean? Whatever yeah. you can afford or what you like or what you come across at the time, it all works. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you. I just like the stand thing. I'm efficient at it. I'm, I feel comfortable in them and I know they work and I know I can get into the trees I need to get in typically. Yeah. So I, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Yeah. What, speaking of like evolution, what did your broadhead evolution look like? Honestly, man, it, it might be sort of boring um, as far as, like, a listener's perspective would be. I jumped on Muzzy Broadheads and shot Muzzy Fixed Blade, like, MX3s and MX4s until, hell, 20, 
15, I experimented with some other broadheads, some NAP ones. Yep. And then I shot Schwacker for a couple of years. And then I kind of found my home with Slick Trick broadheads. They have like the Raptor Trick is one of my favorite expandables. Yep. And then they have the Viper Trick, which is sort of similar to a Muzzy, but just kind of like engineered better. Um, and I've just never had an issue with them. So yeah. I, I kind of Slick Trick Viper Trick, Slick Trick Raptor Trick are my two heads right now. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this when it, when in 2006, you know, I, I bought this brand new bow and I also brought, you know, I, I bought everything new, new arrows, new rest, new sight. Uh, and I bought, uh, the mechanical wasp jackhammers, like one of the very first <laughs> wasps, uh, broad mechanical broadheads that, you know, that were out. And since then I can remember using three other broadheads outside of that. Like that's how long I've been shooting like a, a wasp, uh, uh, wasp heads. I can remember using the, the NAP Spitfire. I can remember using, uh, a slick trick, uh, man, what was it? Uh, one of their, one of their, uh, fixed blades. It's like a four blade fixed blade. I don't know the name of it. Or, um, shit. What was the other one? I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. But yeah. So I love, I love those small cutting or small broadheads with multiple, like four blades. I'm a huge fan of that. And then do, yeah. you, do you remember this broadhead called Epic? It's an Epic broadhead. And it was the first mechanical broadhead that all the blades were, there was no blade sticking out of the ferrule. It was all enclosed. So it looked like a fat field point field tip but when you would hit yeah. it all like three broadheads would come out and uh, i used that was it red? it was red yep okay i do remember it yeah but then in in between all that i kept going back to wasp and and it's one like you said man i i just dude i i feel like those heads slay so that's the direction that i that i've stayed in do they sponsor you that be they should no they not, do they, no other... they do they do <laughs> okay I was going to try to help you out. I'm like, damn, you got to call somebody over there because that's that's a good story. Right. Oh, and, and uh, I'll tell you this. As far as uh, sponsorship goes, they were the first company to jump on board with Nine Fingers. So uh, we got a really good relationship there. Well, you found your home, man. You didn't even yep. know it. That's awesome. Yep, absolutely. Um, that's cool. Man. Yeah, yep. So other than that, man, uh, gear's kind of a funny thing to talk about. And uh, if uh, is there any anything else in the in the gear department that uh you want to bring up or talk about man i feel like i'm kind of lame i feel like i'm like i like all my gear and stuff like that but i think when people ask me about it i'm kind of i'm more simple about it than i give myself credit for i just kind of know what i like and i don't i don't really experiment too much if i do it's it takes a little bit for me to to get there you know what i mean yeah um i will say one thing I do want to bring up that I that I think has changed how I my shot process in the heat of the moment is my release. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what you shoot, but I shoot a Scott uh, Longhorn Hex. Yeah. And it's kind of like a a back tension with a click, but it's on a wrist strap like a hunting release. That yeah. for me has been a game changer. Yeah, I'll be honest. I had one in my hands to purchase at a at a bow shop. And then for some reason I put it back and I never picked it up and I went back to my uh, my my wrist trigger release that I that I've always been shooting, but that out of all the releases that I've 
that I've used in the past, which isn't a lot, that one intrigues me the most. It's something that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely interested. So it is a, it's a back tension release, but on a wrist strap. Yeah. So you pull it back with the wrist strap. Yeah. Like the way I have it set up, I put my, like my thumb and my pointer finger around the strap. I pull back, get anchored, and then I slide my fingers over the release and then run through my shot process. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more because I, I don't like the fact that I like some of these thumb releases, and I know you can, you know, figure ways out, like uh, hook it to your D loop or, you know, even connect it to your wrist somehow, but you still have to hold it in your hand. And I don't know if I, I like that, that, that feeling. I don't like that either because I don't want to drop it or I like, get excited and go to grab my bow and it like yeah. it kind of like rattles and then the thumb the trigger hits the string while it's hanging there and then you're you're SOL. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I've done it. But I like it because it keeps me from it slows me down. It keeps me from like getting frantic and dumping a trigger on on you know what I mean dumping an arrow off on a buck moving through and I'm like ah oh, shit I I should have slowed down and thought a little bit. It just makes yeah. me. Like the way I practice, it, I kind of walk myself to, through my rhythm. And I feel like since I switched to that release, I have significantly less oh shit mistakes in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, and that's a good thing, man. I, 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 I'm still, I don't know, man, but when it comes to big deer in front of me, I'm still in a way, I feel like I'm in control, but I'm in blackout control, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? No, like, yeah, that's cool. Kind of like a fight in a way. Right, right. Like what just happened? What you know? Like what? What did I do? Uh, I feel like yeah. I, I feel like like I said, I feel like I'm in control. But dude, uh, I just want to say thank you very much for hopping on the uh, uh, the podcast and BN, BSing with us today. If you haven't listened to the Working Class Bow Hunter uh, podcast, I strongly suggest it. These guys are uh, great, and they take they take the BS session to a whole new level. Really good, uh, really good content. And uh, so, man, appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was fun. Love to do it more often.